two versions this morning. I'll read the ESV, and then I'm going to read the message um, just to help us out. So uh, it says, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you, the, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom <coughs> of God. The message helps us with this. It says, Then Jesus told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it be to do uh, to, to do to, uh, sorry, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? If any of you is embarrassed with me and the way I'm leading you, you know that the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all his splendor in the company of the Father and the holy angels. This isn't, you realize, pie in the sky by and by. Some of you have taken their stand right here, um, are going to see it happen, see with their own eyes the kingdom of God. So there's four questions as we consider these verses. Can you see the challenge in them? <laughs> Hopefully you can. Um, hopefully you're not already at the familiar side going, oh yeah, I can't wait for so-and-so to hear this. Um, here's the four questions I want to answer. Who's this message for? What's the attitude that Jesus commands? What's at risk here? And how can we actually do what Jesus is asking us to? Who is the message for? Jesus says, if anyone would follow me. The writers have changed the, the Greek word there to make it sound okay, but what, it's, what, he sa- what he actually says is, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone wants to follow me, this is for anyone who's curious about Jesus. This is for anyone who believes in Jesus. This is anyone who, uh, so this is for the pastor. This is for the churchgoer. This is for the, the person who goes to a community group. This is the person who... Uh, praise, who gets up in the morning and uh, is determined to be a Christian. This is a person who's considering being a Christian. This is not for the person who's rejected Jesus, is not interested in Jesus, and couldn't be bothered about Christianity. This is for anyone who's interested in Jesus. If anyone would follow me, um, this is for you. So to you and I, uh, there is an attitude, if, if that's you, if, that, if that's who you are, that you're curious about Jesus or you're already... Um, Following Jesus, um, this is for you. And so there's an attitude that is commanded by Jesus. What is the attitude? He says, um, well, first, let's think about attitude. It's, it's a word that we, don't, we use, but we don't often think about its meaning, and it's really great. When we talk about discipleship and we say, what is a disciple? Uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, most of you will be able to answer that question, what is a disciple? Um, you'll be able to answer that quite easily. But if you said, what is the attitude of a disciple, that's a lot harder for you to maybe answer, for me to maybe answer. Um, Attitude, here's some descriptions of it. The way you think and feel about someone or something, a feeling or a way of thinking that affects someone's behavior, 
in psychology, attitude is a set of emotions, beliefs, and behaviors toward a particular object, person, thing, or event. In other words, attitude is much more than doing the right thing. Attitude is doing the right thing with the right attitude. It still, it still has a behavior attached, but it goes all the way deeper into the heart. And so discipleship's not about what are the things that I'm supposed to do to follow Jesus. There's also an attitude that goes along with discipleship. What's the right attitude or, or what's the attitude commanded by Jesus about discipleship? In our family, um, and I know my kids have some friends here, so I'm going to embarrass them potentially. But in our home, we define obedience as uh, straight away with a good attitude. Um, and so in our home, it's possible for our children to do what we say and still be disobedient. And you go, whoa, that's a bit of a high bar. Well, the problem is we're not trying to create children who are moralistic and, and religious and are just do-gooders or do-writers or know how to listen to their boss one day when they're being watched, but gossip about their boss in the corners of the staff room. That, that's not the kind of humans we're trying to raise. We're trying to raise people who their behaviors are congruent with their attitudes. So obedience isn't just the outward doing of what someone has asked you or tasked you to do, but also coming with that or adding to that the inward attitude that's appropriate to go with that. And so, for example, if, it, if I were to say, Ella, and, and Ella keeps her room really nicely, if I were to say, Ella, um, please go tidy up, please go make up your bed, and Ella goes over, you know, what would disobedience be? Ugh. I don't feel like it right now. I know that you guys are gracious, and so you probably only want me to do it when I feel like doing it, and right now I don't feel like doing it. You know, that's like very, uh, mod- a very modern way of thinking. Like, you should only do what feels right to you, right? Like, that's, isn't that grace? Like, non-religion? No, Ella, no, I want you to do it now, um, please. And she goes, so obedience isn't a... Ugh! And she walks off to her room and she throws her blanket over her bed and she hoiks her pillow down uh, and then she comes back and she goes, it's done. (laughs) That's still not obedience. Ella, please go do it again. (laughs) Obedience is Ella going, accepting. Man, I was busy doing something. I don't really feel like doing this. But trying to work on her heart, as she goes down, somehow through some a miracle, her heart comes into tune and she's able to go, you know what, it's a, it's a real privilege to, to be in this family. It's not too big a deal to make up my bed. It's reasonable. I'm happy to do it. What a privilege that we live in this home. Um, parents who love me. Uh, yeah, okay, I can get this done. And she does it and she, she kind of makes it beautiful to the best of her ability and walks away. You, we're getting close to obedience there. Well, that is obedience, but, but you see the difference in terms of the attitude is the heart and the behavior are connected. Um, and so I hope I haven't made my wife and I sound like terrible parents, but I think all I'm trying to highlight to you is that a, a religious person worries about doing the right things, and they can be seen by other people to be doing the right things. An irreligious person worries about doing what feels right to them. They don't care what other people think about what is right. They, they do what feels right to them. It must be true and, and kind of they're being true to themselves. Brandon and Sean, w- welcome back from Honeymoon uh, right over here. C- can we just welcome them? Re- 
Sorry. <laughs> and so we've got a religious person that's worried about doing good. We've got an irreligious person that's worried about doing what feels right. And then we've got the gospel which comes and go, talks about obedience to Jesus that says there is a right way that he wants you to live. There is a will that he wants you to have, but he doesn't want you to do it. He doesn't want you to follow him with the wrong attitude, but he doesn't want you to also just do what you feel like. He wants you to let him lead and he wants you to love it while he's leading you. That's a little different. Is there, are there examples of this? There are examples, I think. For, uh, I'll, give, I'll give you one way. that Because this is what happens is we, we want to put everything into methods. You know, just, just, this is it. just tell me what Jesus wants from me so I can get on with it. What, what we're really saying is, what does Jesus want from me so that I can get on with my life without him? So I can lead my own life. One person comes to Jesus in, in the Scriptures and he says, um, Jesus, you've, you've so radically touched my life. I, I, I'm uh, so overwhelmed by who you are to me that I want to give you my whole life and I want to follow you for the rest of my life and I want to leave everything to follow you. And Jesus says to him, no, go, go to where you're from and tell everyone what God's done for you. Someone else comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I really want to follow you. There's just some things I want to take care of at home, including burying my parents. And Jesus says, no, you need to follow me right now. It's now or never. What is Jesus doing? Because we can't find a method there. Where's the method? There isn't one. <laughs> Jesus is going straight to the heart. And he's looking at the heart of the disciple. And he's saying a disciple is someone who follows Jesus with the right attitude. This person has already got the attitude. Go home. Tell everyone what God's done for you. You, your family is still too important for you. You can't, you can't afford to go home. You've got to follow me right now. That's what your heart needs. Your heart needs right now to decide to make me number one. Come follow me. So what attitude does, does Jesus command? That, that was the question, right? So first thing is he says, you need to have a new attitude about life. The disciple is commanded to deny himself. So this speaks of a wrestle. If, if you are... Um, <laughs> I, can, I can start to hear how this is going to sound. But just go with me. There's a self that you have to deny. And I'm not suggesting that you have two personalities, but I am suggesting that Jesus is saying, you have to deny you. And so there's a you that you have to say no to, and a you that you have to say yes to. Well, what is this you that we have to say no to? Who do we have to deny? There's a you, there's an us... There's a part of us um, that wants to have its own way, that wants to insist on its own way, that wants good things for itself, that thinks it knows best. I don't assume that there's this part of you that has all these things, but I'm hoping one or two of them you go, oh yeah, I, I do have that part. That struggles to include others in thinking or decision making, that avoids pain, that chases after good experiences, that needs to be seen with influential or beautiful people, that needs to be needed, that can't slow down, that can't commit to anything, that can't say no to others, that often has new things. There's a self we have to put off and deny. The, you can kind of put all, all, all of these into four categories. 
Um, you've heard these many times before, but there's a part of you and I that wants comfort and or approval and or power and or control. Comfort, approval, power, and control. And we organize and design our lives so that we get one or more of these things. That is what we believe is going to satisfy us. The reason that we, there's a self that goes after these things is there is a belief that if I have comfort, I will be satisfied. If I have control, if I can control my environment, I will be fulfilled or satisfied or things will be okay. If I have power over something, everything's going to be fine. If I have, what was the, what, I missed it one, approval. If I have so-and-so's approval, then, I, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be satisfied. And it's a lie that we believe because what we find is that we, nothing that we believe will satisfy us ever satisfies us. There's not a person in this room, including myself, that has ever been satisfied by anything in this world. And yet all of us, every person in this room, believes in our hearts. There's a, self of, there's a self in us that believes, if I just have such and such, I will be satisfied. Perhaps it's a single person that goes, if I was just married, that would be enough for me. I promise you, it will not. Perhaps someone gets married and then they find out, well, this hasn't satisfied me. This hasn't fulfilled me. I thought it would. Maybe I just need to have a child. I promise you that will not satisfy or fulfill you. Maybe it's someone that doesn't have a lot of money and they think, if I could just be, be rich one day, then I will be satisfied. I'll have no problems. I'll be okay. And you manage through some means and hard work to get rich and you realize, I'm not satisfied. It didn't solve my problem. I'm not fulfilled. And yet every day, instead of waking up and going, remember self, remember there's a self that keeps believing lies about what will satisfy, we wake up and just try something else. I just try something else. And the whole point of this uh, lie or the self, that, that believe, the whole point of it is that, that I'd be satisfied by something that therefore I can be independent. But independent from what? Or independent of who? And ultimately, that's God. That I, something can satisfy me that I no longer need God. And that's the culture we live in. That's the society we live in. Is we don't need... The, the, best, the, the only way that the broader society will accept God is if God is useful to my endeavor to pursue these things. If God helps me pursue comfort or security or pleasure or control or power, then God is permissible. But if God is demanding uh, and brings suffering in my life or wants to lead me and uh, control me, then I no longer have need for Him. I need independence from Him. And so Jesus is saying that there's a self that needs to be denied. This is a new attitude to life. It's an attitude where I don't look at anything else for satisfaction and fulfillment, but the, I switch an attitude to a self that goes, God, I trust you. Horatio Spafford. You know what I'm going to say, most of you. His family goes ahead of him on a voyage, and the ship is wrecked, and the family drowns, and his wife and children are at the bottom of the ocean. Horatio Spafford comes a month later and the captain of the ship says, Horatio, we're going over where the ship went down. 
Literally, his body is lying on the bed of the ocean. His, his family's bodies are lying on the bed of the ocean. And he goes down and he writes a hymn we all sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way. It has this line that we all know well. It is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford chose to trust God. He lost comfort. He lost control. He lost security. He lost power. He had nothing. But he had a disciple's attitude. And he went, though, though the suffering is real, yet I can say, I trust God. And that's the, that's the attitude the disciple has to life, is life has ups and downs. Life has no's and yeses. Life has disappointments and encouragements. It's not all good and it's not all bad. But in every part of life, the disciple goes, I trust the Lord. I trust God. Also a new attitude to death. Jesus says, uh, you need to pick up your cross daily. Now, uh, besides for Peter, there's not a lot of disciples who are actually crucified. So he doesn't, he, there's no intention for you to go and, and uh, be crucified. And today, you would find it hard to find uh, a country that would be willing to crucify you. Um, this is not what Jesus is obviously meaning. But to pick up our cross daily, they understood it. His hearers understood exactly what Jesus was meaning, that the cross was a Roman uh, vessel of torture. The cross was used to shame people. It was, it was designed to be the most excruciating way to die. And so you would have to carry your cross through town, and everyone could see you, and there was this scandal that follows you, and they might mock you and spit at you and uh, reject you. And then you might be crucified and you die by suffocation. And if you don't die through all that pain and torture, then your legs are broken so that you, you hang harder onto your arms and your lungs, uh, you, you, you end up suffocating. Jesus says you've got to pick up your cross daily. There's this expectation that, we, um, hey, it, every day doesn't have to be amazing. This is where... Um, the kind of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel messes it up. You know, get Jesus in your life, He'll make everything great. Jesus says, get me in your life and pick up your cross. <laughs> then health, wealth, prosperity, get Jesus in your life. He wants you to be rich, He wants you to be healthy, He wants you, you to make your life great. And Jesus says, uh, okay, and I want you to pick up your cross. Which means that there might be shame. There might be suffering. Jesus is making it very difficult to follow him. Who gathers believers like this? <laughs> I mean, it's one way. It's one way to show the reality of who Jesus is, is no one walks around and goes, hey, um, I want you to follow me. I'm going to save your life. And this is what I want you to know, is from the moment you follow me, everything's going to be harder. Come on, let's go. Why would you? The only reason you'd follow someone like that is you believe that he really is who he says, says he is. And that's what Jesus is doing. You, you can't follow me as like a ticket to heaven. Like, oh, gee, I don't know. Like, okay, I'll, I'll become a Christian because then at least I have eternity like, covered. It may not be the best, but at least then I have eternity. Jesus doesn't leave a door open. You can't. It's not an option. You... You can follow me if you really believe that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'd love to have you. 
but it's gonna, there's going to be ups and downs. Following me is not going to be easy. I'm not going to be super popular. So it means all sorts of disapproval and suffering and vulnerability. Practically for people in this room, it means that we're not going to be able to satisfy Jesus and our friends and family. Jesus does not make you more attractive to your family. The heartache, you, you know, in Western culture, it's, it's a bit difficult because it's like our Western culture is a bit of a consumeristic culture, which is like, get everything from life that you can. Just get it all. Even relationships. So our, our families put up with, and our friends put up with all sorts of relationships that we have. We allow that. Eastern cultures, even today, experiences far deeper that sometimes coming to Jesus means being totally cut off means no longer being in your family, being considered as good as dead. Following Jesus is quite serious. They have to decide, do they really want to do this? We're not faced with that sort of decision. We're faced with the decision of Jesus. A priority means that my parents might be disappointed. They might get upset with me. My siblings may misunderstand me. My friends may tease me. Hey man, since you've been a Christian, like you don't come to everything anymore. hard. It's so hard. But it's real. Follow Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't, sometimes it means we don't get to have that new fill in the blank. Following Jesus sometimes means we don't get to pursue that certain lifestyle, fill in the blank. So Jesus commands a new attitude to life and death, trusting God and putting Him first. This is where I said the sermon is such a hard thing to say. It's so challenging. And I'm so aware that, that everyone here as a Christian is like, yeah, this isn't for me. Like, I'm a Christian. I'm paying the price. I just want to say, as I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at yours, and as a, as a pastor in this church, I, I'm not 100% sure we are. I'm not trying to cause any doubt. I'm just trying to say, let's take Jesus' words seriously. Let Him speak into our hearts if there's something that needs to be said. What's the risk? So ultimately, eternal life is at risk here. Jesus says that there's this in three different ways. He says, if you save your life, you will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So there's no balance here, right? <laughs> Don't we love to balance things? I hear that all the time. It's, one of, it's, it's really like one of the hardest parts of, of um, I think, of Josh and my job is is how do you help people live in grace and not in balance? A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little... And, and I'm not... You know, it's something... Why is it so hard? Because we also have to figure it out in our own lives. You want to live in the grace of God, but you, you don't get to live your life in balance. Where you just get to have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. If you save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. Listen to what Jesus is saying. It's for my sake. I've become something to you. I mean something to you. This isn't a far-off dictator saying, if you try to live for yourself, we're all just going to kill you, but if you raise the name of this kingdom, you'll be saved. It's a, it's rela- if you say, if it's for my sake, if I'm beautiful to you, if I'm meaningful to you, if I've become your Lord and your leader, if you love me, 
If it's for my sake, you're going to find exactly who you are. In me, you're going to discover everything you've been made to be. But if you try to find yourself by yourself, you're going to lose yourself. He says it another way. What do you have if you have everything and forfeit yourself? He says, what, what do you get? You get money, you get fame, you get security, you get comfort, you get approval, you get control, you get power. You get it all. You get the best life. You get your best life now. You get your Instagram reality. For you, Instagram's not fake. Like, that's the real deal life for you. It's just so perfect. He says, what if that's what you get? What if you can make everyone around you jealous because your life is just so special? It says in the process, you, you, you become like a Frankenstein of the self God has meant for you to be. You, you become a monster of your true self. You don't get anywhere close to what God has made you to be. You, you lose yourself. You forfeit yourself. So he's asking, what's it worth? Let's ask it another way. Would you sell your soul for a lifestyle For a home, for a job, for a relationship, for a pleasure, for approval, for control, for power. Would you sell your soul for, for that? And we all go, no, we wouldn't. But we do. Because it doesn't happen in a binary way. It doesn't happen someone coming knocking on your door and saying, I've, I've got this lifestyle for you. If you give me your soul, I'll give you the lifestyle. No. I won't do that. It's, it's just such a dumb way to try and sell something. It happens in subtle ways. It's like a subscription. <laughs> All of us here spend money on things we don't use and we've forgotten for years. And then we go check our subscriptions and we're like, what is that? Unless you have kids, then you have subscriptions you didn't even know about. <laughs> it's like that. Just a little bit of give, a little bit of give, a little bit of give, a little bit of that, a little bit of my affections, a little bit of my time, a little bit of my attitude, a little bit of my thoughts, a little bit of my uh, uh, schedule, a little bit of my this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. It's like one of those things, um, I don't know if your phone does, <coughs> like how much time you've been on it, or if you look at, at like... Uh, my computer shows me the websites I've been on the most. And there's like, I check cricket scores and stuff, and I'd, I'd probably say like, yeah, in a week, I'll probably check the sports scores, NBA and, and cricket scores probably like 10 times a week. That's quite a lot. My computer, which is a liar, <laughs> tells me I check them about 10 times a day. When do I even do that? Who has time for that? I mean, there's not even like 10 games a day. How, how is that even possible? <laughs> this, is how, this is how it works. We, we sell our soul, and we're like, hey, do you, think, do, you, do you think that you're distracted by this thing? Nah, I hardly give it any of my attention. But if we could have an objective perspective, we might find that the attention we give it is alarming. Then Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. 
Mark, I think it's Mark, it's Mark or Matthew, helps us out a little bit. He goes, if anyone is ashamed of me in this adulterous and wicked generation. So he gives a context for it. And so basically the picture's like this. And, and this is drawing to a close, just so you know where I'm going. We're, in the, we're definitely in the, the landing gears out. Just go with me for the story that I need you to hear it. Imagine there's a woman and there's two men courting her. And one of the men is, is like, he, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't really have a beauty to describe, talk about, but he's a really faithful guy, a really solid guy, got good character. He's not flash, he's not the best dresser, he doesn't buy her a lot of gifts, he doesn't give her like flattering comments. He's, he speaks nicely to her, he tells her truthful comments and says things like, you look beautiful today, but, but he doesn't flatter her. And he invites her and he says, I would love to make you my wife. I'd love to walk with you every day. And I'd love to lead you. And there's another guy. He's really good looking. He dresses super sharp. And he, he seems to have a lot of money because he arrives in a flashy car and he buys, takes her to nice restaurants, like foodie type restaurants. I don't even know which ones to use. I'm so far from that. Insert the name. Paul, you would know a couple. <laughs> then he tells her all these wonderful, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. You take my, my breath away every time I look, at, I look at you. I can't believe I survived the date. How do I manage to get oxygen back in my lungs? And he, he flirts with her and he uh, wins her and he promises, he says, I'd love to marry you. And I'll take you to the moon and back. I'll buy you gifts every day. I, I want to robe you in the finest jewelry and take you to every country. Um, just be my wife. And um, she decides to, uh, uh, she decides to marry him. And they get married, and soon the compliments end. Soon she loses his attention. Soon, you know, the gifts still come, but they don't. They're just piling up. I mean, how much jewelry can you have? How many gowns can you gather? How many restaurants can you eat at? And then she finds him in bed with another woman. She realizes she's made a bad call. He's had a history of sleeping with everyone. She thought she could change him. She, now she sees she can't. She's just next in a long line. She goes back to the other one and says... I want, to, I want to be with you. And he says, I'm sorry. You've already made your covenant with him. You, you get what you want. This is the picture Jesus has here. If you're ashamed of me in this wicked and adulterous generation, saying, I want to walk with you. I want you to be mine. But if you're going to find it hard to walk with me in this adulterous generation, if I embarrass you, if, you, if I feel, make you feel stupid when you're around uh, clever people, if I make you feel uncool when you're around popular people, if I make you feel whatever it is, just insert yourself into the... If I make you feel this when you're around those 
that you look up to the most, then you, you're going to get what you want, which is not me. If I'm not beautiful to you, if you don't see me for who I am, I'll, I'll leave you to have what you want. See, Jesus isn't... Nass and I have got a, a friend. I'm going to twist their story for my own purposes here. But he basically, almost, in another country, stole her in the night to marry her. Robbed her from her family. She, the, the, why I'm twisting it is she wanted, she wanted in. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't steal her against her will. But Jesus isn't this, he's not this bully. He, he's not this person who comes at the night to take us away and, and say, just trust me, you will love me one day. He, he's this one who comes in the daylight and says, come with me. I'll tell you everything I am. I'll tell you the cost it's going to take. But I'll promise you eternal life. And I will never leave you or forsake you. I will love you every moment. And I promise you, no matter how hard it gets, it's all going to be over one day, and then it's going to just be wonderful. We'll be together. But I'm not going to make you do it. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, they get what they want. Just to remind you, Peter heard these words, and then a young, not super intelligent, servant girl, said to him, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And Peter went, no, I'm not. don't know who you're talking about. Jesus who? There was shame. You felt ashamed. All I'm trying to say is, if you're sitting there, don't deny it, thinking, oh, shoot, that's me. It can't be me. If it's me, I'm, I'm on, you know, like, Jesus, remember, it's not black and white. It's not binary. It's relationship. Peter had a chance with Jesus to go, Jesus, I'm sorry. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Peter was the first one that ever preached the gospel after Jesus ascended. Jesus gave him that great honor. In other words, Jesus restored him. The point is, if you found that you've been ashamed of him, if you found that he hasn't been your priority, it's not the end of the story. We can come back and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I gave up a love for you, for, for all these other things. That compared to you are meaningless. They're not bad things. They, they are what they are. But compared to you, they're nothing. So how do we do it? I don't think you can change your attitude without a radical experience of this attitude towards you. I don't think we can have the attitude of the disciple unless we are shown this attitude from the one who's leading us as disciples. It's too much. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus first denies himself. Robed in glory, in light, in ways we can't imagine him being praised in creation. Limitless in, in bounds. He leaves that he denies himself in heaven to enter and constrain Himself into the form of a human, to walk amongst us, to literally pick up a cross of shame, to be mocked and spat on, to be rejected by His Father, 
the prince of the skies, the prince of the heavens, the creator of the universe, being mocked for the very ones, us, whom he's dying for. He denies himself. And he does, he does this because He's not ashamed of us. He does this because He loves us. What kind of love is it if a parent goes to a child and says, let me give you a hug. I'm your parent. This is my duty. I reckon the child might just stand like that and be like, can't wait for this to be over. What a waste. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, that child's going to grow up to need a lot of help. Jesus doesn't come out of duty. He doesn't come to invite us because it's His job. He doesn't talk about love and affection because you know, it's, He's the one that has to do it. He, he comes to us because He loves us. Because He's not ashamed of us. The Prince of Heaven is not ashamed to be seen in his, in his group, in His team, in His squad, in His crew, on the worst of the worst. We all arrive at the game. There's Ronaldo and Messi and whatever on, on one squad. And there's Jesus with a bunch of people in wheelchairs and missing legs and limbs. And I'm ready to play. This is my team. He loves us as we are. He's going to make something of us. He's counting on Himself to do it. He's not ashamed of us. And then He gives us an invitation to come to Him, to receive eternal life from Him and to follow Him. But following Him is submission to Him. (coughs) Following Him is letting Him lead. Following Him is not a negotiation. Following Him is not a debate. Following Him is not waking up and going, well, about that thing, Jesus, I've been thinking. Following Him is submission going, you are my Lord. I trust you. I don't always find your leadership easy. But I trust you. Please help me. Please help me to follow you. I see in this and this and this way, I haven't trusted you, I haven't followed you, I've gone my own way. Please forgive me. I trust you. Lead me, change me, help me. (coughs) So it means that in life today there may be shame, but that's okay because there's a glory that's going to come. It means that today there may be suffering, but that's okay because there's a joy that's going to come. It means that today there may be death, but that's okay because there's eternal life that is to come. Some of you in this room are balancing your life. You have a lot of Jesus in your life. You have maybe posters of Him on your wall. We we couldn't get a good photo 2,000 years ago, so you can't have like a Bon Jovi picture of Him on the back of your bedroom door. But you might have a cross or something like that on a wall somewhere in your house, or a scripture, or a Jesus poem, or footprints in your bathroom. 
Just to confuse everyone, where did the other set of footprints go? If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, you're less than 20 years old. <laughs> so you've got a bit of Jesus, but, but you really, he's not your priority. You've got him in balance with other things. He is not your leader and Lord. Your life is, is maybe in between a Peter at the fire with the servant girl and a Peter... Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? There's no, I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm not saying, I'm not, I really have no one in mind. I'm just saying the odds are that there's people in this room who have Jesus in balance. You, you have a Western idea that you can have it all. You can balance it all. You can thread the needle of self and Jesus. I want to urge you about as strongly as I can. You can't. You can't. You're believing a lie. I'm going to hand over to Josh in a, in a, in a minute. Good luck, Josh. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. Is it enough for you in this life to know and to follow Jesus? Is it enough for you in this life to know and to follow Jesus? Is there something or someone else that you will not forsake to follow Jesus? Look, if you're not a Christian and your answer is, yeah, there is. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not sure about this Jesus guy. Okay, good. Be honest about it. And go to him and say, I'm not so sure. Your, your demands are pretty high. Can you help me out with this? Teach me. Show me. Prove it to me. Help me. Let God, let God come. Let Him come and show Himself to you. Let Him come and make His demand upon your life. Bring you to the crossroad. Will, you do have to make a choice. If you are following Jesus, or you think you are, is there something or someone that you will not forsake to follow Jesus? Because, and with this I close and I pray, there is nothing and no one that Jesus has not forsaken to invite you to follow Him. He's that into you. He's that committed to you. There is nothing and no one that He hasn't forsaken to call you to Himself.